right? Like I, I, I was literally just on the phone with one of my executive white colleagues trying to explain this, that, you know, when I come to give a presentation, I'm the only, I'm representing all of blackness at our institution. And when I walk out of that room, if I leave before that is over, I leave all the white people to talk amongst themselves. I can't think of a time in my life where the converse is true, where if you as a white person walk out, then, then you leave us as black people to talk amongst ourselves, to make decisions, to figure out what you just said, to interpret it, to black explain and to figure it out, right? And, yeah, maybe that's a way to say it. That it seems that when we do something, we are representing our race. When they do it, they're just looked at as an individual. That's right. Right? Like D, you have to know that what you've done in Delaware, you know, even through the, the whole hierarchy of however it happens with barber's license and the board, all that kind of stuff that you're a part yeah. of, like right. you, you, you are not just there representing D Reed, like people have to look at you. And I think that opens the door for them to give somebody else a chance because they see what you've done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I have my my struggles, um, even with being the president of the board of comatology and barbering for the, um, for Delaware, I went through a lot with my own people once I got that position too, by the way. However, most of the board was pretty much white. And I, I felt that when it was time for me to come, who called the final decision or the shot, they're looking at me like, I know you're going to look out for his people. I know he's going to look out, you know? Right. And then me, I'm, I'm bold where I can look them back and say, you know, damn right, I'm going to look out for my people. You already know. But, right. you know, I'll, but I shouldn't have to deal with that. And even stuff that you guys deal with at your job, you shouldn't have to deal with that. You should not have to deal with that. That's that's racism, you know? Yeah. See, yeah I, love I'm the, I love the fact that, um, you know, when we look out for our people, it feels like nepotism. When white people look out for white people, it just feels like business. Like that is what. Yeah. what so, do. so can I can I share this with you? So there was a there was a young lady that uh, it, I won't say where I worked at the time, but um, she we had lunch and she was saying to me, and again, this is that just that undercurrent of anxiety and stress, right? Yeah. That part of her role was dealing with new young people coming into the company. Right. And it seemed that they were pointing the the young black kids to her. Right. And her thing is like, I'm willing to help everybody. I don't know if I want to be the person who just kind of gets the label of helping just the black people. And here's what I said to her. I said, I understand where you're coming from, but you you may want to get over it. Right. (laughs) Or think about how you can, because there are a lot of our young people show up in the corporate environment. They didn't come from an, an environment where they had parents who worked in the environment and this is what was talked about at breakfast, lunch, and at the dinner table. So they don't have any foundation. So any support you can give them is warranted because typically the young white kid coming into a position in, in corporate America has a support system whether they want it or not. It's mm. just there. It's the door prize for just walking in. You're going to get that support. You should not feel bad about helping a person of color who likely didn't have any of that foundation. And it's going to be judged more harshly on that first mistake that they make. 
it could we used to, in the corporate America they call it the long tail. They end up with a long tail, and then it's never forgotten. That becomes who they are. Again, where the other person can have a bad day, eh, it's just Bob. It's just Sue's. How it is? You. That will be the thing that people talk about for years, and that's what forces some people to have to leave a company so they can get a fresh start and begin to work on a new set of perceptions because the other stuff is just so hard to shake. Yeah. yeah. You know, because right. most people that because they don't know us, they only think they know us based on images they see from television, the news, yes. movies. And to be honest, my opinion is even some of our entertainers don't show us in the best light because even if they're popular and making money, I, they're, they're not great role models at all. And that's what some people see and it's, that's what they think that we are. And, and we're not. Those guys having the limelight and having some money gives them the luxury to be the way that they are. But most times, even in society, that stuff is not even sustainable. But that's just what they—that's just what they do, you know. So anyway, so let me do this. So we've been on here for a minute. I don't want to hold you guys too long. So when we were talking before D. Reed came on, the really the idea, and even with pivot play, is like, okay, so we're in this position. How do we take a how do we take a firm's stable footing right. and pivot? So that leads to the what's what's next? Right. What do we do now? We've gone from right. pandemic to pandemonium. Whew. What how how do we go forward? How do we continue to carve out the best life that we can for ourselves, yeah. for our families, for our friends, for our community? How do we get there? Yeah, so um I've for the last two days been wishing something in the back of my head and sharing it with people. And that is, I wish everybody in America would take a break. Everybody shut up, sit down, be quiet, go to your corner. In our modern world, right, the um, social media platforms put us in the middle of events. So even if you're not in the middle of looting, you're on your phone, you're watching on Instagram, people that you know in the middle of looting. Which mean, And then you feel like you have to respond. Hey, what the fuck? And you're posting. And and so we're what we don't have is what used to happen in the news, right? Something happens away from you. The news reports it. You get it. That's already a day. You then think about it, kind of process it. And by then, the next thing has happened. And so you don't know whether the next thing is negative or positive. But what you are not is part of the thing keeping the momentum um, going. And so I think what we need to do is this, give ourselves time to process what has happened, bet negative or, or positive, and look for the next thing that we want to happen and then work towards that. So personally, that might mean like, I'm gonna take a whole day and not jump on Instagram, not respond to what people are posting on Facebook, God bless Pivot Play on Facebook. Um, and just process what you feel, process where you are, and ask yourself seriously the world that I want to live in. Where do I want to be when this pandemic is over? Um, what do I need to do to position myself for who I want to be as, as the world transitions into this new thing? And that way, you give yourself time for the world to process its own self. And then you can respond to it. And I, so I think one of the things we could do to help ourselves is take a beat and ask ourselves serious questions 
and then set our own personal goals for the world that we want. I, I, I mean, I'm a big proponent of figuring out what you want before you join crowds and demand what those crowds want. Hmm. Wow. D, what's your what's your what's your thought? Um, I I think it was excellent what he said. I think that's actually a good way to um to start and to you know add on for after that you know the next level. Um, Jerry, we got to separate the real ones. We need the real ones. You know what I mean? We got to separate the real ones from the fake ones. And let me tell you, this is going to be real easy. And, it's, and I'm not going to get on the riders too much because, again, y'all upset, y'all mad and stuff. But who do you think, number one, is hurt the most out of this? I tell you, George Floyd's family. That's who's hurt the worst. And you ain't going to touch their pain. And that's a fact. That's a fact. And they're not looting. You know why? Because they can give a damn about some sneakers, some Rolex, some car, because I lost my brother. I lost my uncle. I lost my daddy. And if any of us lost a family member out of all the stuff we love in the world, Rolex, whatever you want, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, can nobody persuade us to go to any Gucci if they was giving it out free because I lost my brother. I don't give a damn about no Gucci busting in windows. I done, Once I go over that way, I done lost focus on the cause and the reason why I'm supposed to get things done. And that's my brother. I lost my brother. You know what yeah. I mean? So I want to separate the real ones. See, we look like they the real ones because they tearing up and robbing. No, they're not the real ones. The real ones are the ones that hurt and can't sleep. And like you guys said, trying to come up with a plan on how we're going to do this. Yeah. The most disappointing thing with me with this whole thing, Jerry, um, <laughs> is the fact that it happened in Minnesota, right? A lot of states haven't dealt with it firsthand where it happened to a citizen there yet. You know what I mean? The Freddie Grays and Trayvon Martin all the way up. It happens in different states. Man, I didn't have it in your state yet. So guess what? You got an opportunity to go down to the police department. You got an opportunity to go to the state building, to the government and say, hey, what, I'm a leader. We got some leaders in the community. We want to talk to you guys. What's before what? You see what happened in Minnesota. We don't want it to happen here. So can we do something different and start having a conversation and you guys can lead the protest and let everybody know we're protesting together? Why? Because we don't want that to happen here. So since right. we didn't do that, now we have to damage control with the mess because we didn't do what we supposed to have done because it didn't happen we're in Delaware. It can happen in Delaware. I'm not saying that. And we had similar situations that was close to that, you know, but we had an opportunity to see Minnesota on video. And say, you know what? Call the police. Call, call the, call the leaders right now, because we don't want that to happen here. Right. So now we get our plan together before it happened. But now, when it happened, everybody just got mad at the cops and ready to go down there and fight everybody. Like, okay, well they didn't do it. They just technically didn't do it themselves. You know what I mean? We got an opportunity to talk to them. So to piggyback off what uh, the brother said, the neurologist. <laughs> so <laughs> who, who, who cleverly said it was so dope? He said, "Go to your corner." Calm down. We got to damage control and we got to figure out what do we want. And you know what we want? We want peace, we want leadership, and we want a plan to execute. And how are we going to do that? We're going to have to take the leaders. We're going to have to take the real ones. Put light on the fake one and say, no, we're not, we're not for that. We'll put light on the real ones too and say, listen, we got to sit down and talk to the police department. We got to talk to these church leaders because black people love church and, and pastors. Go we'll well, grab them well, and community well. leaders. And, and guess what? We got to grab some police officers because we got to figure out how to not let this happen here uh, so, to the best of our ability. So, D, I'm say, so let me say a couple things. So one is there, there's, <laughs> I, 
I could talk for the next 30 minutes on the absence of leadership, right? And we saw oh. it going through the pandemic. And, here, and here's my statement to people is that you are subject to leadership, exposed to leadership in every area of your life. And as we've gone through the pandemic and all of its dynamics and now into this pandemonium, leadership in every segment of our culture and our society has been tested and the large majority of it has come up lacking. And I'm wondering now as people sit and reflect and think whether you're talking about pastors, whether you're talking about business leaders, community leaders, politicians, have they continually earned your loyalty, your respect, and your money? Because some of them, we have set them up really nice. And when we need them now to show up to be leaders, they have nothing to offer. They are, they're eloquent and they're about their self-interest, but they have come up empty over and over again and as people sit and process this, this is an opportunity for them to reassess the leadership that they have allowed to influence their lives and say, are you even worthy of my time? Because yeah, you're I, eloquent. You said, Go ahead, When it happened, I said that. I, I was like, what in the world? We're, so it kind of exposed the leaders, didn't it? Like, oh, shit. It absolutely we did. No we was like, oh, we ain't got no real leaders. Oh, my right. God. Oh, they didn't have a plan. I was like, right. oh, I didn't know. And, I, and I'm the right. type of person, I, you know, I feel like I can lead some things. You know what I mean? So I sat back and said, oh, we got leaders already. I'm good. They handle that. Let me go ahead and run my business and do what I do here. Y'all got it. And then when this shit happened, I said, oh, my God, we ain't got no leaders. Right. No, we yeah. ain't got no real leaders. They have shown like, themselves oh. to be confused, afraid, like, just clueless overall. And people have aligned their lives with these people. I'm like, look. Look at the leadership that's around you. You now get the opportunity to make a decision about whether or not they deserve your loyalty, your commitment, your time, your money, your endorsement, your advocacy, whatever that is, because these jokers have come up short. So D, to your point about if it hasn't happened in your city, I moved to St. Louis two weeks before the Mike Brown shooting. Wow. And all I'm gonna say to you is TV could do it no justice. Now imagine you come to a, to a state like when my wife, um, when my wife showed up here two days before the shooting, she had never even visited before, right? So you talking about an introduction and how that changes you? Because you know, Drew, you've used this word when you said Philadelphia is on fire. Yeah. St. Louis is on fire, and if you're new, you don't know where to go. You don't know where you don't want to be caught. You know what I'm saying? So we we went everywhere together and it was like, we knew we could go to this store, this restaurant, this, you know what I mean? We basically had to stay very tight. So I, I get what happens. And then I think the next one was the situation that happened in, in Baltimore. Um, I think, okay, so we lost Steve for a second. Let me bring you back in. Uh, there he is. Um, so the next was the situation that happened in Baltimore and then watching that on TV from St. Louis, I had a different appreciation for it because I had lived through it in St. In St. Louis. And tonight I, you know, I had the opportunity, they had a March here, um, that was largely organized by high school and early college age kids brought this thing together. It had to be two, 3000 people there, right? Most of them were not black. 
most of them were white or other, you know, other shades. And it was so impressive to see. I watched these kids, you know, to my leadership, I watched them. They got, cause I got there really early, right? Cause I wanted to check out, you know, am I just marching? Am I strapping this nine on my, you know, I didn't know what I was gonna have to do. So I wanted to get there early and check it out. But I saw these young people engage the police. I, poli I And I appreciated what the police did. They objectively went about their job. So that didn't mean that they were supportive that they were willing to take a knee or whatever, but they did their job. They kept it light. I saw them laughing with the kids and stuff like that, organized and people just showed up in droves. You know, they probably marched for a mile down to the justice center. They were there for a few minutes, you know, and they, and they came on back chanting and stuff the whole way. Um, and I was really encouraged that I'm like, you know what? I'm really hoping this sticks and that these young people aren't going to continue the nonsense. That, that we've had to experience. Yeah. Um, they were raising their voices really loudly on, on some of the right things. So that, that piece was encouraging, but I'm taking away from, from both of you, you know, just the idea of being able to, to process it, right? Just process right. it. I would love, here's the easiest way for me to process it. Can it stop? And then I can really <laughs> assess it. Like, you know, you have to believe that what happened in Washington DC tonight could potentially make everything worse for the rest of the night throughout the country, yes. right? Because those people were peacefully protesting. They may have been loud, but then all of a sudden they were getting pushed around and tear gas or, and just out of nowhere because the president wanted to show some, some force. And, and that was minutes before I was supposed to leave to go to this March that I went to tonight. And so, and so for me, and, and maybe, I needed this more than, than anybody else did is the opportunity to talk out some of this because I it, coming out of the pandemic, I spent so much time, you know, lining up guests and, you know, like really believing that, like, I think I know what the plan, I think I know here's some things that we need to think about and consider. And man, it's like all those sheets of paper just got ripped up because now this whole new dynamic that's coming about and say, you know, with it being on the basis of race and justice and some really long-term societal issues. I'm like, man, I'm telling you, I flat out don't know. I wish I did. I, I don't. And that makes for me every day is a challenge. So if I'm dealing with it, like I said, I'm still gamefully employed. I got a nice house. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm kind of set up. What about the person who's not set up? What about the person who's part of that 26% of poverty in Philadelphia right. or in other places, or now people who are in tight confines, you know, um, and, and don't have enough. Like, so I'm still in, the, I'm like, I got a good hand. I'm playing a good hand and I'm having issues figuring it out some days. What about some of these other people? It's got to be stressful for them. It's got to be filled with anxiety. It's got to be filled with fear. Yeah. It's probably also filled with anger. So what I guess if my prayer is anything is like, I want it to calm down. But I, I think, but doesn't mean we need to walk away from the conversation. We need to have this conversation. Now, that, that I'm, I'm convinced that we need to have this conversation. Um, but if we can get away from the violence, you know, Drew, you were telling me about, you know, now there's white supremacists going around Philadelphia, you know, um, with, with, you know, talking trash. Armed white supremacists um, supposedly guarding their own communities, right? And so, I'm, I mean, I, I guess my 
point is that we're at a point that we've never been at before. We've all talked shit around these issues. We've always talked about, you know, if it came down to a street fight, uh, who we would align ourselves with and what the other side didn't want, what smoke we didn't want. The truth of the matter is, I mean, just talking really honestly, don't none of us want none of that smoke. <laughs> That's not the America we want to live in. And Jerry, something, right. something you just said just resonated with me. And that is, I mean, everybody on this call, everybody on this broadcast is playing with a good hand. But what the current crisis has brought into reality is next week, we could not, we could be in a position where we're no longer playing with a good hand. Absolutely. And yeah. that, that is an incredible turn of events. With no plan, Drew. With, with no, no plan. No plan. We didn't take advantage of the advantage that we got to see it on TV, y'all. That's that. incredible turn of events yes just like that let's wow. hurry up and group up the right way let's go ahead and go ahead and get this talk going y'all because we got time so jerry exactly so jerry i encourage you to continue to have open conversations about what should be our next move if that's all you contribute i think that's huge because we all need to take that very very seriously in a way that we haven't have never done in our lives before and maybe even our parents didn't have to do. This is incredible times. Yeah. I think I want to have a talk with the chief of police. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah. I would like to have a talk. Yeah, that's a fantastic goal. Yeah. I want to have I want to build a relationship because I don't know. I know he's from Chicago. I think he's from right. Chicago. Oh wow. Um a new police chief. I used to know the old one. He's a good yeah. guy. Um, but I don't know this police chief, but I would like to know this police chief, actually. So we can because it's the city of Wilmington. Come on. You know what I mean? He want to at least right. know the people or at least the pillars in his own city, you know? So. You know what? And that's a that's an idea. I mean, when I was leaving the, the march today, there were some policemen and I and I made sure that I walked up to these policemen and thanked them. Right? right. And that's been a long drum, but seriously, thank you. Like I said, they were there, they have they were objective, they protected the people because it could have been some nut out there, you know, wanting to shoot up the crowd or drive a truck or something into them. You know, they they provided the right presence and the right demeanor, right, to go along with that type of event. But you you know, you're you're right, D. Um, and because I know this is where I live is deep Trump country, right? I I I have pulled back myself. Wow. But the reality is, and where I live, and I and if you drove through, it's like oh, it was a really nice neighborhood. I won't go walking in my own neighborhood without ID. Right. Wow. For fear that the police would stop me, and I'd have and I'd have be stuck trying to prove that I live here. You know, it, it certainly had happened to my daughter. You know, three years ago, coming home from school, somebody cutting grass. She gets off the school bus, starts walking towards the house, and the guy said, "Are you sure you're in the right neighborhood?" Wow. You know, so that 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 dude, and all I'm suggesting is real. That is both the problem and the thing that we need to fix. Right? Like, yes. That is both the incendiary spark that has created what we live are living through now and the the sort of goal line like the all you you know Martin Luther King had a dream where black kids and white kids could sit down next to each other and now your dream is just i want to get off a bus anywhere in america and not have anybody go do you live here right um, because <laughs> For, because there's a large group of people for whom that is not their reality. 
So we have to, so then I think there has to be, thank you guys, I appreciate this. There has to be a willingness to get involved, right? Yes. To engage, you know, D, like you said, you know, go meet the, the chief of police. Like you're, you're a respected businessman. You, you got, you got enough juice to make that happen. You know, when that situation happened with my, with my daughter, it was one of my neighbors, right? Happened to be an, an older um, African-American man of, of which, you know, I think I have three black neighbors maybe. Um, but he actually saw what was happening from a distance and walked up and kind of overheard it and said to the dude, you know, She's where she belongs. You need to do because you you don't even live here. <laughs> but the but think about it: the audacity of someone thinking that they could approach somebody else, right? You're not even in your own neighborhood, but you're gonna question whether or not somebody belongs where they are. But my point is, my my neighbor's willingness to see what was happening, right, and, and then having the fortitude to get involved and, and put himself between her right. and this person, right? right? That's, right. I think that's where it is. And, you know, having the courage to engage, yeah. right? When the time comes, it ain't all day, every day. It's not a 24 by seven thing, but there will come a time when there's, it's your opportunity to engage, is your opportunity to stand up and be heard is your opportunity to bring up the, the topic that maybe no one else wants to talk about. But if you let that opportunity pass, yeah. then you could be shutting a door for a generation. I don't want to sound dramatic, but sometimes it's just like that. So maybe that's what it is, is, is being able to discern when is our spot, when is our time, right? right. I this, let me share this last story with you. So my, um, somebody I respect greatly on Facebook put out a post last week. Um, this is still on the leadership topic, but it's also about timing. And what he said in this post was how impacted he was by what's happening in the country right now. This guy's a pastor. He's um, he's a successful attorney, but he was 100 percent transparent with how he was feeling the sense of loss, the sense of anger, the sense of maybe wanting to 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 hurt someone, <laughs> you know, he just broke it down and was real and then followed it up with a very, you know, eloquent um, discussion of the charges that had been filed. And so he posts a lot of things. But in a matter of a few hours, and I think because of how real the message was, it had at that point 4,500 views, over 100 shares and like 400 comments like so in a sense, like almost this viral thing, yeah. but I think because, and not intentionally, it was nothing contrived about it. He found his moment. He found his moment and he addressed it with authenticity. He addressed it with integrity. He addressed it with transparency. And maybe that's what it is for us, right? Mm. No matter if our, if our sphere of influence is a single person, just our families, but I know all of us touch a footprint that's much bigger than that. So D, who are the people like, I know you meet with the, the folks who work in your shop, you know, you got uh, cuts a combo. What's the name? Make sure I can get it right. Cuts combo yeah. and coffee. Right. Um, you know, Drew, you have a sphere of influence. So maybe that's it. When the time is right, mm. how do we exercise our influence? to bring about the sense of, of calm togetherness, but also some strategic thinking, some planning, 
because it's going to require that we have to we will have to do something different than what we've done. So yeah. the leadership I know is apparent here. Like D, when I saw you send out the you know send up the flare for folks to come out and help clean up the streets after the looting, that's yeah. leadership, right? Nobody told you to do that. Nobody asked you to do that. Nobody paid you to do that. You right. did that because of your leadership and a sense of ownership for your own community. That's right. Saying if I don't do it, who else will? Because clearly you weren't pushing people out of the way, right? Now the city showed right. up and did some stuff, but that was you using your influence to say, let's go clean this up because we're better than this. Right? Right. So all right, any closing some people hated on that. <laughs> How so? Well, they felt like, man, shoot, let them, man, let them clean it up. Let them clean up the mess. Some people felt like that. You know? I went and bought brooms and trash bags and everything else. I was ready to go. I was out there. But the city had made it out there early, got early in the morning. You know, the mayor don't want somebody out doing him. You know what I mean? So he got out there at 6 in the morning. Let me go ahead and hand to my city. Somebody told him, look, they, they organized and they ready to go out there and clean up themselves. So that's to me, that's still influence, though. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Right, so any closing remarks? I appreciate you guys for unscripted, unprompted, just last minute jumping on here and having this conversation. I really, really seriously appreciate it. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is, Jerry, keep up the good work, man. It's good shit. I second that, Jerry. Keep up the good work, Drew. It's nice meeting you. You said a lot of things. That, hey, I really appreciate hearing you and listening to you, man. A lot of people got knowledge out here, but very few got wisdom. So. Hey, thank you, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Makes absolutely. me feel makes me feel good about my my network, my circle of people. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, thank you so much, bro. Hey, man, indeed. You you need to get some more copies of Mindset Go ready because some people are gonna need that. Absolutely. Oh, Mindset Go right on Amazon. But if you get them from me, inbox me, whatever, tag me, um, and I'll sign them. I'll send them out to you. Sign. Well, so, you know, I just I show up at the shop to get all my stuff signed personally. So hey, more than, you're more than welcome to come get them. I got you. <laughs> all right, guys. Enjoy the rest right. of your night. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Thank Peace. You. See you.